The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Do you know that revival is an important subject in the Old Testament? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. It is thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Welcome to the Line of Fire. This is the day of the week where we focus in particular on Jewish-related issues, be it the modern state of Israel, be it the Hebrew language, be it questions about Jewish practices and beliefs or Messianic prophecy. Phone lines are open. 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. So the only caveat, the only qualifier for those calling, it has to be Jewish-related. Friday, it's any subject under the sun, but Thursday, Jewish-related. If you happen to be listening or watching and you're a Jewish person and you don't agree with me, you don't believe Jesus is the Messiah and you want to take issue on that, we, we often hear from folks with different views and hear from folks regularly at, at times with different views. So feel free to call in. I'll often spot comments on YouTube in particular. We'll get a lot of folks who differ with us uh, chiming in there, but Facebook too, Twitter, I'll see comments. I'm not able to respond to 99.9% of them, but I'll spot them every so often from a Jewish person who is dead set against what I believe or, or is mocking it or is calling me out as a liar, etc. I wish I had time to interact with everyone and, and go back and forth point for point, but that's why we have live radio. That's why we have phone lines open. You can call and share your differences as well as your questions. So 866 348 in the, the King James, you will read the word quicken a lot. In Psalm 119, the psalmist prays, quicken me, Lord, quicken me. And, and what it is, it's translations of the Hebrew root chayah, uh, you know, lechayim, to life. So that same root, and it is make me alive yet again. Make me alive. And here and there, it's translated with revive, as in a psalm. 85, a prayer that God would renew us and revive us, or Habakkuk 3, where there's a prayer like that in verse 2. Uh, in, in the King James, if you're familiar with Hebrews 4.12, it says the Word of God is quick and powerful. When I first heard it, I thought it was quick, zoom, 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 but it's not, it's not quick, it's alive. It's just old English for alive. So if you read the King James and you read quicken me, quicken me, it doesn't mean make me faster. Right? It means make me alive. Renew me once again. These are prayers for personal revival, for personal renewal. But the theme of revival, which is a critically important theme in the body today and a life theme of a great bird that I've carried for many, many years, is to see the church restored to first love, passion, purity, to see true revival among God's people that will then spread to the world in, in conversion and transformation and discipleship. There are key texts in the Old Testament that are great revival texts, that are revival paradigms. And, and there is a pattern that often emerges in these texts. And, and the pattern is a call to turn back to God, right? That's where all revival begins. On some level, we have walked away from God. On some level, we have been distant from God. 
On some level, we've become like the world. On some level, we've compromised with sin or we've been beaten down, discouraged. We, we have left the early passion and devotion that was there. We have left our first love and devotion. There is a call to return back to God. In other words, turn away from the idols, turn away from the world, turn back to God. And then with that, there's also a, a frequently a cleansing process that takes place individually or corporately, and then restoration of the word, restoration of foundations. These are some of the key elements that we see in Old Testament revival movements. But let's look at a revival movement with a family. Genesis chapter 35. Genesis 35. Then God said to Jacob, get up, go up to Bethel and stay there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So many of you are familiar with Genesis 28. Esau is going to kill Jacob. Jacob is running for his life. He stops in Bethel. While he's dreaming, he sees angels ascending and descending from heaven. And he wakes up in awe. This is, this is the house of God, Beit El. He calls it surely Yahweh, Yesh Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord is here in this place. God says, go up to Bethel where God appeared to you long ago. So this is the beginning of a revival call. Go back. You had a place. You had an encounter. You had a walk. You had an experience. Go back to that God. Go back to that place. Go back to that encounter. Now look at this, and this is what's so fascinating. This is the patriarch Jacob, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Look at this. So Jacob said to his household and to everyone who was with him, Get rid of the foreign gods that are among you. What? Get rid. These are the children of Israel, children of uh, the family of Jacob, right? This is the patriarch here. Get rid of the foreign gods that are among you. Why did they have foreign gods among them? Well, because they had fallen away, because they had lost their early devotion, because they got like the world around them, and everybody else had gods, so they had other gods too. Go back to Bethel. Go back to that place of intimacy, that place of devotion. Go back to that place of purity. So the call to Jacob, to I, we can't go back to Bethel, the house of God, with idols in our midst. So the call to return to God is a call to repent of sin. Get rid of the foreign gods that are among you. Cleanse yourselves and change your clothes. Now, remember, you didn't wash and change your clothes every day in the ancient world. So this is, okay, major house cleaning here. Major prepare to meet your God. So on a personal level, we see what happens later in the Old Testament on a national level. But it's a mini picture of revival. The call to go back to where you had that early encounter with God, to turn away from other gods, and to go through cleansing and preparation to meet with God. Now, let's get up and go up to Bethel so that I can make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way that I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods in their hand and the rings in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak tree near Shechem. We'll stop there. Uh, having rings in their ears in the ancient world, even in the Israelite world, was, was certainly not something that especially women would not do, but presumably there was something tied in with idolatry or worldliness with it, hence getting rid of them there. 
And if that's the role in your own life, then, then so be it. It applies the same way. But notice those characteristics there. These are fundamental characteristics of revival. You're not where you used to be. Something has changed. Uh, I, I've often shared this story, but uh, forget what year it was. It was maybe about 15 years ago. And someone saw me, hadn't seen me in years. And they came up to me and they said, Mike, what happened to your mustache? It's, it's all white. And I thought to myself, what are you talking about? It's all white. Now, you would think with the big nose that I have, and like everybody, you look in the mirror every day, you're brushing your, your teeth, you're brushing your hair, you're shaving, right? I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this mustache every day. I did not realize it had turned white, that I had gone gray. Why was that? Well, one reason happened gradually. So I'm seeing it every day. I'm not noticing how dramatic it is. And the other thing is that my mustache was always a little lighter than the color of my hair. So if my hair was dark brown, which it used to be, right, thick, dark brown, my mustache was a little bit lighter, kind of reddish brown. So as my hair, little by little, was not so dark anymore, my mustache not so dark anymore, I just kind of thought it was a little lighter than everything. I didn't realize it had gone gray. That's what happens when God just charged you. Suddenly you're, you're looking back at an old journal entry and you think, that's not where I am anymore. And God's like putting on old clothes that don't fit. It's like, yikes, I can't believe I gained all this weight. I had no idea because it happens gradually. Or you suddenly come under conviction about entertainment you watch, or things you follow. And it's like, how, how, did, how did that happen? How, how, did, how did I fall in this, in this way? And God says, come back. That, that's the beginning of personal revival, that, that conviction, that recognition that something is terribly wrong. And with that, we begin to turn back, seek him. And then along the way, you realize all the idols you've accumulated, all the unclean things, and you turn away and you put them away. And then God's renewing grace prevails. Let's take a look in 2 Kings chapter 18. And by the way, if you want to get in on a call and talk to me about any Jewish-related subject, now is a great time to call because the sooner you call, the better chance that we get to answer your questions on the air. So 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884, any Jewish-related question. Normally, Thursdays were flooded, but not with the total intensity that we are wall-to-wall on Fridays. But today we've got a lot of open, open lines, so... By all means, give us a call. It's a, great, it's a great time to connect. Okay, so 2 Kings chapter 18. Now, it was in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, Hebrew Hizkiahu, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he, began, when he became king, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Avi, daughter of Zechariah. Zechariah. He did what was right in Adonai's eyes, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all his ancestor, his father, meaning ancestor, David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For up to those days, the children of Israel were still burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan, which means a bronze thing or a serpent. He trusted in Adonai, the God of Israel, and indeed none of all the kings of Judah after him was like him and none before him. For he clung to Adonai. He did not turn away from following him, but kept his mitzvot, his commandment, which Adonai had commanded Moses. 
So Ananiah, the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territories from watchtower to fortified city. On the other side of the break, I want to come back and look at that. This is a national revival movement, a national reformation movement. And, and again, you would have it with, with key kings along the way, with Asa, but then Asa messes up at the end, with Hezekiah, with Josiah. Uh, there are others lesser, but, but these are the principal ones where there is a national reformation movement. And, and always you have these elements in common, a turning back to the true worship of God, a turning away from idols. It's the same to this day. We'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Oh, yes. Let God arise. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Hey, friends, welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday on the Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. Uh, Some Jewish world news to catch up on. And as always, phone lines open for your Jewish-related questions, 866-34-TRUTH. Hey, if if you believe I'm wrong in saying that Israel today is fulfillment of prophecy, or you think that what's commonly called replacement theology is is an unfair way to describe those who see things differently, hey, we can talk as well, 866-34-TRUTH. Three, four, truth. Hey, just looking on Facebook, Nathan, thank you for your contribution and your encouragement to others to support us. Let me ask you a question. When you go to the grocery store and you pick up your groceries, do you pay on the way out? Sure you do. When you go to a restaurant and enjoy a good meal, do you pay before you leave? Sure. And then you tip the server as well. well that's what we do. Uh, well, The gospel is free. It's our joy to teach and preach and share the word as freely as possible. And that's what we seek to do day and night. At the same time, there are expenses in getting the message to you and getting the message to others. So if we've been a blessing to you, would you share in the burden of getting this message out to others? You know, we hardly talk about finances here, especially compared to some other things you may have been exposed to over the years, because we're jealous for, for every moment. And, and, and we've got a, a sponsor we're going to be working with and letting you know ways in the, in the, the days ahead that, that there's things you could purchase that would funds could be used to help with our ministry. Whatever we can do like that, great, wonderful. But our focus day and night, day and night, day and night is getting the message out to you, equipping, helping, strengthening you, and, and reaching the lost sheep of the house of Israel, among other things. But I mentioned that because it's Thursday. Real Kosher Jesus is out in, in Hebrew now. We are so super excited about it. I talked about it last week. Uh, a lot of funds were raised to get the translation done and the printing done and, and to make it a free resource for outreach as well as a, a book people can purchase in Israel. Uh, we did that with your help. 
right now as I'm speaking to you and I'm on radio stations in different parts of America and, and folks are watching online around the world, uh, do you know that at times that our broadcast, The Line of Fire, uh, and podcasts in Israel under the subject of Christianity, that's where it gets categorized, that we've been the number one podcast on the subject of Christianity in Israel. In fact, I, w- I was looking the other day on this, this one website that gives you charts of, of just uh, iTunes downloads, Apple podcasts, and things like that, and we're, we're on other, other podcast networks as well. But we've been the number one in Israel. We've been the number one in Jordan. We've been the number one in, in, in some Muslim nations. I'm I'm not sure how people are getting or I mean, they're just downloading. So you're helping us do that. You are helping us. Isn't it a good thing to know that as you give, that it's actually going directly to to reach people that don't know the Lord and to edify believers around the world. So stand with us. If you're watching on YouTube, there's a dollar sign at the bottom of the chat box. You can click on that and donate. If you're watching on Facebook, there's a donate button. You can click on that. Any gift of any size is appreciated. You can go to our website, askdrbrown, askdrbrown.org, and click donate. Especially during the summer months, often people forget to give and they get tied up with other things. So thank you. Thank you for helping, standing with us, and enabling us to keep getting the message out to as many people as possible for free. That's our joy to do it. Even as I'm speaking, uh, materials are being made available online and on TV in Israel, in Hebrew, with our very words, to reach the Jewish people. So thank you for partnering with us. Okay, before I go to the phones, let's go back to uh, 2 Kings chapter 18. And and let's notice this. Uh, We'll start again in in the first verse of 2 Kings 18. So Hezekiah becomes king. He's 25 years old. He reigns for 29 years, right? So that would be until roughly the age of 54, which would mean that when Isaiah the prophet told him, you have 50, you're going to die, he, he was 39 years old, right? 40 at the oldest, probably 39 years old, and you're going to die. So when he pleads with the Lord, God gives him 15 more years. So that's over half his reign. And as he's coming in power, there has been corruption. There has been sin. There has been compromise. Ahaz's father was, was an idol worshiper. And, and we know that he even sacrificed children in the fire. So Hezekiah now is, is working against that. In other words, you can't have revival unless something has fallen back, is, is, is not right. In the midst of passionate Holy Spirit devotion to the Lord and, and, and living pure, purely before him, and living in purity and honoring his word and, and being fervent to love your neighbor, you don't need revival then. But when you become worldly, when, when you become compromised, when you, when you become discouraged, whatever it is, you need to be revived, brought back to life. So that's the situation now. That, that there's all types of idolatry, even in the temple. So what does what does Hezekiah do? He cleans house. He removes the high places. He smashes the pillars cuts down the Asherah poles. And, and notice this. I want to focus on the, this one point here. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. All right, let's, let's step back and think about this. In, in Numbers, the 21st chapter, the children of Israel sin yet again. God sends these fiery snakes, these poisonous snakes, seraph snakes. So you have the seraphim 
in Isaiah 6, these apparently fiery angels. Then you have these seraph snakes, so these these snakes with, with burning, fiery bites. That's what it would be understood with poisonous bites. People are dying. People cry out to Moses. Moses goes to the Lord. God says, okay, make a bronze image of one of these snakes. Stick it on a pole. And when they look at it, they'll be healed. And of course, Jesus refers to that in John, the third chapter. And there's even the wisdom of Solomon, a reference to that, to the, the snake being lifted up. So this is something that's clearly in the Israelite memory and Torah and their other literature. And Yeshua was saying, hey, that's what's going to happen to me. I'm, I'm going to die a criminal's death. And when you look to me, you'll be saved. This explains in John 3 and then in, in John 12. So <clears throat> here, it, it was, it's just, it was a bronze snake. It, it, was, it was just a thing, an image of these, these reptiles that were killing the Israelites, these snakes that were killing the Israelites. Now, here's the pole. Look at it. Snake on the pole. You'll be healed. Well, what happened? They ended up worshiping the thing. They, they ended up making that which was meant to be a, a vehicle of salvation or a vessel of salvation and healing. They turned it into an idol. And they, they were worshiping it. They even gave it a name, the Chushtan. So Nachash is, is a snake in, in Hebrew. But also it can have the, the, the chushtan can have the meaning of a bronze thing. So it's kind of a double meaning there. They're worshiping the snake. But that's what people do. God raises up a person to help and we end up worshiping the person or idolizing the person or making the person into some type of a, a, a superpower or a superhero. It's human nature. And Hezekiah chops it up into pieces. You're not a god to be worshipped. You're just, should have been destroyed, obviously, back then. Hindsight would say, yeah, once you're done with it, destroy it, because otherwise people will worship it. That's why it's often believed that God buried Moses. Because if the children of Israel knew where he was, they'd make a shrine to him and start praying to him and who knows what else. So this is human nature. This is what happens. So you'll, you'll see, and then with this, is the restoration of worship and the biblical calendar. There is now the, the keeping of the Sabbath again. There is now the, the honoring of the Passover. And, and, you know, you read in Josiah's day, which is a few generations after Hezekiah, that, that they had never kept the Passover the way they did in his day in centuries. So whatever happened in Hezekiah's day where the Passover was kept, it's kept on an even a broader level with Josiah. But by the time you get to Josiah, with, with his grandfather Manasseh being an evil idol worshiper who, who reigned for 55 years in, in Israel and, and, and filled Israel with, with, filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, Josiah's got to go through the same process once again of, of cleansing the temple, of, of going back, re, rediscovering the word of God. These are things that happen in times of revival. Again, a turning away from idols, a call to turn back to God, a purifying, a repenting, a putting away of all the unclean things, a restoration of worship and honor, a, a reverence for a, a godly calendar or lifestyle, commemorating the things of God, and then a recovery of the word and the centrality of the word. So the worship of one true God, repentance from sin, turning away from idolatry in our lives and from uncleanness, and recovering the word of God, which then brings us into a deeper repentance 
these are some of the things that happen in times of revival, the recovery of the word of God specifically in the days of Josiah because it had been largely lost, if not entirely lost in written form from the people. So there were only bits and pieces remembered and known among many. It, it, had, it had gotten that bad in the nation. I mean, when Josiah goes to clean house, they have shrines to homosexual prostitutes in the temple. In the temple. That's how bad things were. So revival in the Old Testament, it's, it's a theme that is very powerfully laid out. But it, the spiritual renewal is always directly tied in with social reformation. That, that you have both and. Now changes come to the nation and even restoration of justice and, and turning against the oppression of the poor with a call for justice and fairness. These are things that also flow out of revival movements in the Old Testament. It's never exclusively spiritual. If it's a true revival, it'll be more than exclusively spiritual. All right, back with your calls. Stay right here. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon. Welcome, welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. We've got a great surprise for you. My dear friend, Paul Wilbur, if you're listening the whole hour, you heard him singing just earlier on. He's got an amazing book telling an amazing story about an amazing project, Roar from Zion. I, I was thrilled to be involved with that book as it was coming out, read it for myself. So I've uh, been so blessed over the years to have Paul as a friend and super blessed to be in many, many meetings with him, countless meetings where he leads in worship. And every single one of those meetings, I've encountered God in beautiful and wonderful ways. And a powerful DVD project, video project, they put out, Roar from Zion. And now a book with his own story and, and more about that. So without further ado, uh, Paul, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for joining us today. Dr. Brown, thanks so much, Mike. It's great to join you. Hey, great being with you. So reading Roar from Zion, I find out stuff about your own background and coming to faith, stuff I'd never known as long as I've known you. So it's, it's a book that tells about you, but tells about a lot of other things. Why did, why did you write it? The, um, the whole uh, purpose, Mike, was to tell of some heavenly experiences here in the earth that is provoking um, nations to faith, um, and that sounds maybe huge, too huge for one human being, but it just, the things that God has, has done, you know, maybe in spite of us, it, it just gives him such glory, sound, you know, the, the, the very word, the roar from Zion started for me with a, just a, a short time of a, a quiet time, I didn't have many minutes. I told the Lord, I need something in context, because Dr. Brown has always told me, don't just pull something out of context to try and make a point. So all my believing life, I, I want to read, you know, give me give me something, where's the beef? 
So I sat down to read the whole book of Joel, three chapters, not a big project. <laughs> and I was breezing through, and the, the locusts are still eating everything. And, and chapter two, the outpouring is still being prophesied about Acts chapter two. And, and then I'm, I'm just about to finish, and I get to verse 14 of chapter three. Multitudes, multitudes in the Valley of Decision. I have a, a big evangelism bone in me, especially for our Jewish people like you do. And I could just hear the questioning and the cries of Israel. Who is our Messiah and what in the world are we doing here? And then there comes the Lord responds to that cry with a thunder from Jerusalem, a roar from Zion, and as I began to look a couple pages back and a couple pages forward, and then First Samuel chapter 7, and I'm discovering that there's a sound that we can make from the earth that provokes a roar out of heaven that may make a sound that will usher millions and multitudes into the kingdom to the Jew first, and that's where it all began. Mm. So uh, on the one hand, something utterly ridiculous for any one of us to consider, but something totally normal for God and something totally in harmony with what he's revealed. Look, I, I live every day of my life with full confidence that there's going to be a national turning of our people, especially at the end of the age, and then I get to be part of it somehow. It's ridiculous, but we're not looking for what you do or I do. We're looking at what God does, right? That's what we're talking exactly. about. So, yeah. so Paul... There, there are a lot of things to talk about. And again, friends, the, you, you'll find the book to be a, a really edifying, faith-building read and an enjoyable read. But we had the joy in 1988, in October of 1988, you leading Israel's Hope, leading in worship, me preaching, religious Jews, rabbis sitting there uh, in the audience uh, among many believers. And... Um, uh, it was a building that had a little bit of significance in your past. In your, just tell us about that for a second. Well, you know, the the call came, I, I think it was our friends Ari and Shira Sokaram there in Tel Aviv, and now we're at the 40th anniversary of the rebirth of the State of Israel, and they, they have this wild idea, right? Let's call Jewish believers to come to Jerusalem during the Shavuot, the Feast of Tabor, excuse me, the Feast of Pentecost, and and let's gather as one people with one voice. Let's worship the Lord, and let's see if there can be this great new outpouring of His Spirit. And I, you and I, many times during that weekend, we joined hands, we prayed, we knelt, we sang, we worshipped. We prophesied, we cried out till 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. And, and to our surprise, to our shock, the, the roof of the place didn't open up. Uh, we didn't see stairways with angels coming from, from top to bottom. And we left like, well, you know, we gave it our best shot. And as it turned out, that was the only hotel in Jerusalem that would allow Messianic Jews to, to have a conference. All the rest of them were afraid of losing their kosher licenses and lose favor with the government. And this, this lone hotel going under on the far east side of Jerusalem said, 
what the heck, we're going to lose our building anyway. Why don't you guys come? We took all the rooms and the hotel next door. And 30 years later, after nothing really big significant we thought happened, the United States now with President Trump leading the way is looking to fulfill the promise to move the embassy from Tel Aviv back to Jerusalem, the eternal capital of that eternal city. And where do they land? That very hotel and the one next door where we met, worshipped, cried out, prayed, asked God to do something special, and it took 30 years. But that is now the American embassy in Jerusalem. Yeah, it's, it's just, just the kind of wild thing. God knows the connection between the events and everything, but, I mean, who, who scripts that, right? When, when you see that kind of thing, you, you can believe for anything. Yeah, and we cried. I was expecting more, and, yeah, there were breakthroughs. We heard, you know, spiritual breakthroughs in many lives, but I was expecting more for sure, and people came from around the world. Now, you look at this, but that ends up. I mean, what if someone told us then, by the way, 30 years later, <laughs> this is such a life. It's like, are you kidding me? But the, these are all little first fruits. And by the way, later that same year, October, so that was that was in May of, of 88. But in October of 88, you and I were in Cleveland doing similar meetings in a building in Cleveland that, that had a little significance as well. Hmm. You've you got to jog my memory. How about the synagogue in Cleveland, the former synagogue? That's, yeah, in fact, you talked about the event I was thinking about, which was, I'm thrilled that you did in, in May in Jerusalem, but in Cleveland in October of 88, in the synagogue that was Marty Getz's old home synagogue, and the, the famous Reformed synagogue was now an empty building that could be used, and here we are doing Messianic outreach meetings with Orthodox rabbis sitting there present to, to criticize. One of these things, who would script that from your old, you know, your old community as, as well? So there's a little jog of your memory. All right. Yeah, Let's, yeah I, needed, I needed that, and that should have been in the book. Well, well, you know, the funny thing is, though, when I, it's, it's good I, I told the story you weren't thinking about because you told the story I wasn't thinking about. And, uh, <laughs> all right, but I, I, I only mention these things to say, you know, it's kind of wild. You know, you grow up, that's the synagogue you go to. Now, years later, you're doing a Messianic outreach, and, and Orthodox Jews sitting there in the meeting to, to be critical. But there they are in the meeting thinking, who, who scripts these kind of things? But you've seen some things over the years. And, and a lot of it culminated in the Roar from Zion project, which in your heart is a, is a, is a first roots, is a sound, is, is, is a cry, a shout that's going up. But this was not a cheap project when you did Roar from Zion, and you felt that God laid it on your heart to bring in top musicians and all this and to kind of launch out on your own and do it. How did that project get funded? How expensive was it? How did it get funded? Mm. Well, it went from 50000 to 250000 um, without me, <laughs> without me paying attention. But really, the Lord said, build me a blackbird. Build me a vehicle that will carry a sound that will fly higher, that will go faster, that will be undetectable by the, all the processes of man, but will be uh, kind of like this, the spy plane to bring in um, the the good news, the whole thing, Mike, was the restoration of Israel and the restoration of the Church, the two blades that that are really have seemed to be op opposing each other.
for the last 2,000 years, but I see there's a sound that unites the church and synagogue to be partners in the salvation of the earth. You can't have the kingdom of God without Israel. You can't have the kingdom of God without the nations. You can't have the return of Yeshua, of Jesus, without Jerusalem saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You can't have the return of Jesus, Romans 11, without the fullness of the Gentiles. There's a partnership here, and that's what that sound was intended to capture and to broadcast. And that night that we held, well, there was a couple nights in Jerusalem, two different places, one of those venues had rows and rows of Holocaust survivors mm. who sat there with tears flowing down their face and said, please come tell us more. Israelis came to the green room the first night after we had released this sound and asked for prayer and tell us more about this Messiah. It's God created everything with a sound, and sound carries something of the Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit is the breath, right? The Ruach, the breath of God. We can make a sound, I'm convinced, that not only provokes something from heaven, but also shifts atmospheres that that pierces through the thickness and the hardness of men's hearts and sings something. God is a singer. The Psalm 62, Zephaniah chapter 3, he sings over us. There's there's a sound that has been uh, woven into our DNA as believers that provokes something in the heart of men. I believe, Mike, if if I can get people to sing it, they'll believe it. Mm. All right, st- st- stay, right, stay right here. We'll be right back with Paul Wilbur. And you got to hear how God provided the funds. That... You want to talk talk about divine backing. The new book, Roar from Zion, Discovering the Power of Jesus Through Ancient Jewish Traditions. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, less than 30 minutes from now, I'll be right back on YouTube. So ask Dr. Brown, ASKDR Brown on YouTube for our weekly exclusive YouTube chat. So 4.15 Eastern time, a little less than 30 minutes from now, we will be resuming and I'll be just uh, answering any of the questions you post there. So join me, Ask Director Brown on YouTube, 4.15 Eastern time. So Paul, I I do want to emphasize the sound, the the power, the, all of that, Mm -hmm. but again, to build faith, to let people understand that God himself is saying, go for it. I'm breathing on this. I'm doing this. You were independently taking on a new project as opposed to having another ministry or organization backing this, funding it, you know, paying in advance for this big production. It's 200000 that you didn't have, but a sizable gift came in. How'd that happen? <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a story that, that convinced me that uh, that God was on 
uh, on our side and doing something su- supernatural. Um, now I got a guy needs. Is anywhere you cannot park here? <laughs> this is what happens with hey hey friends. We are good. I was yeah, doing I'm on it. A live recording. Thanks. Uh, I've been so, there, done that. What? I I did an interview from a parking lot outside of a grocery store yesterday. Did you? Yeah. Well, that's what I was doing. I was on my way home from my office downtown, Jacksonville, and I-95 is notoriously terrible. So as the time was approaching, I wasn't going to get home in order to do this in a quiet place where trucks aren't coming and going. And I pulled over, and sure enough, trucks are coming and going. So this huge, this huge responsibility. We had just left. Integrity Music, or I should say Integrity Music, left us. It was the third owner since uh, Michael Coleman, a dear friend. And they had always funded all these huge, expensive uh, projects in Israel. Shalom, Jerusalem, are you sitting down? Cost $800,000 in 1995. Yikes. Wow. Yeah. Hello. And they paid the bill. And Jerusalem Arise was $550,000 because we had orchestras and bands and singers and places and standards. So I thought I had that all lined up. I had partners who were saying, yes, I mean partners like people with huge ministries. They were saying, yes, we'll partner with, we'll give you the auditorium. Yes, we'll do this and do that. And one by one, it all began to fall apart. And I said, well... I know God's in this. He told us, build a blackbird, go to Jerusalem, release the sound. I was on a tour in the Netherlands. I had $35,000. We're now six months away from the date of the recording. I've already, I've already employed the Nashville Symphony Orchestra. I've employed <laughs> the best people. I mean, the, the bills, Mike, are mounting. But I, was, I knew God had said, do this. I was, I was on an exhausting tour through the Netherlands the last night. I'm on my way home, no, to Jerusalem. The next, I've got about three hours to sleep. My son, who was then living in L.A., is texting, 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 calling, calling, calling. And I'm, I'm trying to fall into the bed for three hours. I said, it must be important. I called him, and he said, he said, Dad, this is, this is really important. I'm, I'm holding a check that's really going to bless you. I said, well, okay, thanks. Bless me. He said, well, if I told you I was holding a check for $25,000 towards the big budget, would that bless you? I said, yes, son, thank you so much. i I got to go to sleep. He said, well, what if it were 50000 And I said, Joel, if you're teasing me, I will personally spank you. I don't care. You're 35 years old. I can still spank you. He said, well, Dad, it's $100,000. And guess how it showed up? He said, we sent some CDs and books to an address in in the United Kingdom, somewhere around uh, London. But it got misdirected, and that package wound up in the home of a Messianic Jewish believer in Japan who didn't know who you are, read the books, listened to the music, sat down, 
and wrote us a check for a hundred thousand dollars. I said, <laughs> I, after I picked myself up off the floor, um, and and that put us very close, obviously, to what we needed. I was in discussions with a corporation about a partnership for another hundred thousand dollars. And then we got lawyers on the phone, and they're trying to figure out how do we repay it and how do we do this and participate in the the blood. And after months, the the man who owned the corporation said, with the lawyers on the phone, he said to me, he said, "Paul, I'm sorry, I just this isn't going to work." And my heart sank. And then he said, "I'm going to give it to you as a gift, with no strings attached, and covered all." The expenses. Mm. Yes, yeah, see, Paul. When I when I began to watch and listen to Roar from Zion, so the the DVD that that you sent me. Now we're talking about the book Roar from Zion, which is about that and and so much more. But so much I more. I knew that there was divine backing. In other words, it wasn't just boy, this is powerful, this is well done. I also knew the Lord was saying, "Hey, I'm going to make this happen." So, so Paul. As folks read your new book, Roar from Zion, what are you hoping will happen in their own lives as they pick up the book and read it? Mm. The whole, the main point, Mike, of all of it, with, with the, the doing of the project in Jerusalem, the Passover, the night that Jesus came to church, demonstrated before everybody who he is, turned the church upside down, that then now all these things that have been so important to Israel over all of this time, the, the Sabbath, the feasts, the, the ways of the Lord, his precepts, his concepts, who's the Messiah, that all these things are living. These are, these are living words from a living God who not only declares something, but demonstrates it. Just a couple weeks ago, because of this sound, we baptized an Orthodox Jewish widow, 76 years old, who heard about a sound, heard a sound. She was a guest of, of uh, one of her neighbors, came to church and heard a pastor saying, you know what, there are real blessings, there's treasures in, in Sabbath that we've never seen before. She heard the word Sabbath. She came back the next week. I was there doing a Passover demonstration. She's speaking the blessings over the bread and the cup and the the whole, all the, the maror and all the rest from the free. That night, she says, I, I believe this, is, this has got to be Jesus. And so she wants to be baptized. There's a sound, Mike, that, that, it, that heaven makes that's tuned specifically to every heart. God is not willing that, that any should perish. And this gospel is for the Jew first, and I believe that all of these results, that a church that is finding value in a, in a Sabbath meal, getting your family together, sitting around a table, inviting the presence of God, celebrating communion, the body and blood of the Lord on a Friday night, inviting neighbors and friends to come in, experience the presence of God, and seeing miracles break out at their table. I mean, it's like Come on, you know the the title of the book is the power power of Jesus in these ancient Jewish traditions. They they are more than traditions. These are 
the ways of the Lord. Jesus called himself the Lord of the Sabbath. There is so much to discover to be a fullness. There's a fullness for the for the church that turns their hearts again towards Jerusalem, that that makes um, a um, a religion a relationship that that pulls on the heart of the Jew, and we're seeing it week after week after week. There's a sound, there's a declaration, but then there's a demonstration that he so desperately, if I can say that about the Lord, that he's desperate to demonstrate who he is to a lost and dying world. And if we'll just listen, if we'll pay attention, he'll do crazy things to demonstrate that he is God. Mm. And, and, and Paul, you know, we've seen it. We've seen God's amazing ways in the midst of the challenges and difficulties that everyone lives through in this world. We've seen the hand of God. So many of you listening, watching, you've seen it. But it seems to me, my own life history, that the confirmations that tie in with Israel's salvation are, are the most amazing of all, the most mind-boggling types of stories. So friends, you know Paul Wilbur, the worship leader, the songwriter, the singer. You've been blessed by his music for decades, millions and millions of you have. Now check out the new book, Roar from Zion by Paul Wilbur, W-I-L-B-U-R. Hey, buddy, can't wait to see you again in the coming days. I'm sure we'll, we'll find a way to do it. God bless, man. Bless you too, Mike. Thanks so much. All right. Well, 15 minutes from now, we will be back on YouTube for a weekly YouTube chat. Check out the book, Roar from Zion. You'll be blessed. Another program powered by the Truth Network.